Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me, he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here this evening. My name is Pastor Brooks. I'm the lead pastor of Grace Community Church. Do most of the preaching downtown, attend here with my wife, and occasionally fill in for Jason. And Lisa, who led worship, her father has reminded me, I think the past three times over the summer, every time he comes here, I'm the one preaching. And he's, I'm sorry, it's just, that's just the way it is. Um, But we are starting a brand new series today, uh, Receiving the King. It's a series in the Gospel of Mark. It's about a king, it's about a kingdom, and it's about who we are as citizens in this kingdom. But before we get to that, I want to just share a a brief story to kind of set the stage for where we're headed uh, this evening. Last night, Stacy and I attended her class reunion. She's a class of 83, a Jefferson Jayhawk graduate from Cedar Rapids and Cedar Rapids. And we, we went and we connected with some of her old friends, even as far back as fourth grade. And we just had a great time. We we ate, we had fun, we shared stories. I met people that I'd never met before. And it was truly, a, it was a great time. And we had dinner and, and they had uh, two screens, uh, just like we have here. And after we had finished dinner, they, um, they wanted to pay tribute to those individuals who, were, who had passed on. And so the somber music began to play and the senior pictures of the class of 1983, of all these people who had passed on, they just began to, to scroll up there along with their, their obituaries. And, and one song finished, and then another song started, and another song finished, and it was like, all these people have died. It was, it was, it was somber. It was, it was almost shocking. Now, granted, her, her class is a large class. I think there were 450 graduating seniors from that class. But it was just, it went from celebratory to all of a sudden, everyone's like, we're all going to die. And it was really, really somber. And then as soon as the music stopped and, 
and, and uh, the lights came back on. People didn't really know how to pick up the conversation from there. And it reminded me of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, where Solomon writes the following. He says, the day, the day of death is better than the day of birth. The house of mourning is better than the house of feasting. For the living should take it to heart. And what, what that means is, is Solomon understands that people in general typically go through life living as if there is no God, as if there is no king, as they are kings of their own little kingdoms, and they're not living for the way in which God created them. They don't live, most people don't live with eternity in mind. You've given 70, maybe 80, 90 years, maybe less. And God has created us in his image to live for his glory. But most people are generally not aware of that. Or they are aware of it and they just, they just don't care. Mark is a gospel that records the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it gives us bearing for why we're here why we're here. Let's take a look at verse one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Now, when Mark says the beginning, when Mark says the beginning, he doesn't mean the beginning as in the first few weeks. He means the beginning as in the incarnation, the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus, God become flesh, dwelling among his people, the whole totality of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's the beginning. It continued in Acts with the sending of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. It's continued for the last 2,000 years and it will continue until Christ returns. But this is the beginning, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, the, the author doesn't reveal himself. It's the gospel of Mark. Mark is, is believed by, it's is widely held and it's not disputed at all throughout church history that Mark is John Mark, who is not an apostle, but he's an apprentice, if you will. He's a disciple and he travels with Peter. So this is believed to be the eyewitness account of Peter as told through Mark. And it's very punctual, it's very brief. You have John, there's a lot of dialogue in John. There's a lot of teaching in John where you have Jesus in-depth teaching. Matthew, the same. Luke, the same. Luke is very brief. He doesn't tell us so much what Jesus taught as much as what Jesus did. As, what, as much as what Jesus did. So, and, and, and that is to show us how the good news or the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God has come. The gospel means good news. It's the story of salvation in Jesus. Ultimately, what Mark does is he shows us who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This is Jesus, his actions and his character. If you believe and if you follow him, he'll change your life. He'll change your life. He'll change your destiny. He'll change your eternity. He'll give your life purpose. That's if you follow him. But these next few verses, verses 2 through 13, is all preparatory. It's all preparatory. So here's what we're going to look at in these first 13 verses. First of all, John's preparation of those who are going to hear and see Jesus for the first time. 
He's the meat tenderizer, if you will. He's the hammer, and he's going to drop the hammer, and he's going to prepare the nation to receive the good news. They think they're ready, but they're not ready. So his work is preparatory. But not only is his work preparatory, Jesus is not ready yet either. Jesus has to prepare himself for his ministry and for the death, the burial, and resurrection that's going, to, that's going to happen. So there's the preparation that Jesus has to do. And then lastly, we are going to consider what our response is. How are we going to respond? How will you as individuals, all of you are different places in your faith journey, Some of you have been following Christ for years. Some of you have not yet started following Christ and you're not sure about Jesus. Nonetheless, all of us are called to respond in some way. So please open your Bibles to Mark chapter one. We'll pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open up Mark's gospel, his account of the good news of Jesus Christ. Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Jesus, help me to bring honor and glory to you. Give me your words that I might make um, you um, clear, your message clear. And Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive the good news. Prepare our hearts that we might be united with you, that we might experience your joy, that we might mock with you, and that we might bring you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's start. First of all, with John's preparation. John's preparation. We have verse two and three, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. So there's been about 400 years of silence since the last prophet in Israel. And, and Israel has been waiting for a Messiah. They've been longing for a Messiah to deliver from the, from the oppression of Rome, for, to build them back up as a nation. And they've been looking for this Messiah, and they haven't heard from God. And along comes John. John's a bit eccentric. We're going to see this in the few verses that follow in verses 4 through 8. He wears a vest of camel's hair. He wears a leather belt. He lives in the wilderness. He eats bugs. He eats honey. He's a bit of eccentric, and he's, he's a very fiery preacher. He's a very fiery preacher. But from the Old Testament, you hear Mark quoting Isaiah. Now look what Isaiah says. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord to make his path straight. Isaiah prophesied this, Malachi prophesied that there would be a forerunner, there would be someone that would come right before the Jewish Messiah, the Messiah, and he would prepare the way for this Messiah. He would prepare the way for this Messiah. So what Mark is calling to attention to the reader here is John is that guy. John's the guy to prepare the way. He's not the Messiah, but he's the forerunner. Now, In the English translation here, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. If you go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and you look at that, the Hebrew word, which is translated into English, Lord, is Yahweh. Now, that's significant for a Jewish reader. What Isaiah is saying is, prepare the way for the living God. This isn't just a guy. John the Baptist is not preparing the way for another prophet. He's preparing the way for the living God who has become Emmanuel, Matthew chapter 4, that says God dwells among us. 
Isaiah is preparing the way. He's saying, John the Baptist, he's going to come. He's going to prepare the way. In that particular chapter, chapter 40, he says, Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The even ground shall become level, the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. John the Baptist is here to prepare the people of Israel to receive the coming king. Now, what is his message? What is his message? When he appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for all the forgiveness of sins, and all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. His message is one of repentance. One of repentance, repent for the kingdom of God is near. I'm here to prepare the way, repent. Level the mountains, fill in the valleys, change. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the Lord, Yahweh is coming. A holy and just God is going to bring his visitation upon his people and every single one of you is going to give an account for every thought, every deed, every word, every motive, and there will be recompense for sin. There will be recompense for righteousness. Do not discount this. You need to prepare yourselves. And to prepare yourselves, he says, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to be cleansed from your sins because in your present state, you cannot stand before a just and a holy God. You can't stand before him. So repent and be baptized. Now, as Christians, you're used to hearing preachers or the scriptures exhort you to repent, believe, and be baptized. This is not the Christian baptism. Jews were not used to being told they had to be baptized. It wasn't unheard of for people to be baptized, but it was more common to be a command for Gentiles who were not Jewish to undergo a ritual cleansing called baptism so that they could then become Jewish. Now, I want you to imagine John is not speaking to Gentiles. He's speaking to Jewish people. And he's saying, yes, you, Jews, all of you, you need to repent and you need to be baptized. You're not clean. Many people were cut to the heart by that message. And many people flocked to hear him. And many people acknowledged and they said, I know I am not ready to meet Yahweh. I am not clean. I am sinful. I need to repent of my sin. I do not want to be given account for my sin. So many people did and they responded, but there is a whole nother group of people that came out to see John that listened to him and they did not respond. Mark doesn't tell us, but Matthew does. But when he saw, this is Matthew, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that is the religious leaders, coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist is not running for mayor and he cares absolutely nothing what people think of him. But he does love the people that he's speaking to because he knows that these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they presume upon the grace of God. They presume upon their status as ethnic Jews and children of Abraham that somehow that God favors them because of their birthright. And he's saying, that's not the deal. 
I don't care if you were a deacon in a church. I don't care if you were an elder in a church. I don't care if you sing in the choir. I don't care if you went to Awana and prayed to receive Jesus when you were 10. You need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You think, boy, that's just not very seeker sensitive. He's not. He's not seeker sensitive. He's preparing the way. He is a meat tenderizer. Have you ever tenderized meat? You do it with a hammer that has all sorts of little gnarly knots on it. And then when you beat the meat, it's really, really awkward. I mean, it's brutal. That's what he's doing. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. And he drops the hammer and people respond. At least some of them. The Pharisees don't. The Sadducees don't. At least some of them. They question him. Well, what authority do you have? Are you the Messiah? John says, no, I am not the Messiah, but I am preparing the way for the Messiah. Now, John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And as he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is important. It's important for you, it's important for them to understand what John was saying. He's saying, listen, my baptism of repentance is strictly preparing the way. It doesn't technically cleanse you from your sins. I'm baptizing you with water. You're gonna go on the Jordan. You're gonna get dunked. You're gonna confess your sins. And in a week and a half, actually in about 30 seconds, you're gonna commit more sins and you're gonna be dirty again. This water is not going to cleanse your heart. It's only symbolic of of a need that you have that I can't fulfill, but there is going to be someone who is. And someone who is going to baptize you, but not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And this is important because if we stop right now with John's baptism and you just hear an overly emotional and a loud pastor tell you that you're a sinner and that there's a holy God and you're gonna stand before him and you need to repent and you need to change, all true, by the way, and that's where we stop, it will lead to utter despair. Utter despair. Why? Because you don't have it in you to change. You don't. The prophet Jeremiah asked rhetorically, can a leopard change its spots? What's the answer to the question? No, a leopard cannot change its spots. Neither can a sinner change his way. Now, that's a conundrum because John the Baptist says, there is a holy God, Yahweh's coming. And in him, sin cannot dwell in his presence. So repent, change, walk away from your sins. And and the people are like, yes, I need to, but it's just a bath. Nothing really changes. Nothing really changes. I was texting back and forth with a guy that's struggling with alcohol, alcoholism this morning. And I could tell him, just stop drinking. But he, he, he can't change on his own. I've met with guys and had coffee with them over the years about sexual addiction, about porn, and I could tell them, just repent. Just stop being lustful. And they can't change. Some of you are bitter. Some of you are angry. Some of you are, are, are proud. Some of you, there's all sorts of manifestations for sin. And I could just tell you rightfully so the, that the Bible says, don't be that way and stop it and you won't. And there's no change the preacher shouting louder or the law being clearer about what you are supposed to be and what you're not supposed to be will not help you become that. It won't cleanse you from sin. And John the Baptist knows that. And that's why he says, listen, 
My baptism is just with water, but there's coming one who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this alludes to what Jeremiah the prophet said and also what Ezekiel said, that God is going to send his spirit. And when he sends his spirit, he's going to remove our hearts of stone and he's going to give us a heart of flesh and he's going to write his laws upon our hearts and he's going to change the leopard's spots. The waters of the Jordan won't do that, but the Holy Spirit will. So he's preparing the way. He's preparing the way. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. So John does his work to prepare the people. Now Jesus has to prepare himself. And the first thing he does is come to John and get baptized. Now, what's John's baptism for? Just a quick review. Any of you? Repentance of sin. So Jesus wants to be baptized by John. Do any of you find that to be somewhat confusing? Any of you? Okay, good. Thank you. One person. So I'll just talk to the one person who's confused. The rest of you, just be patient. Okay, if you're thinking that this sounds weird, why would Jesus desire to be baptized in a baptism, which is technically for the repentance of sin, since I've heard and I've read in the scriptures that he was without sin? He doesn't have anything to repent of. If you're wondering that, you're in good company. John the Baptist wondered the same thing. Now, Mark doesn't record that, but Matthew does. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Now, Jesus stopped him and said, no, let it be so now. But he doesn't really explain why. He doesn't explain why. We know that it's not for the, for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus hasn't sinned, but we still don't understand why. Let me try to, try to help us understand why. How many of you understand what the word solidarity means? So when you enter into solidarity with someone, with a group, it means that you identify with them in their plight, okay? So we have in John chapter one, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What John is saying is that, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And he took on humanity in the form of a baby, growing up to be a man, and here he is on the scene publicly. He took on humanity, but he did not take on our sin as of yet. In his baptism, here's what he's doing. He says, I am entering into humanity, not just as a human being with flesh, but I am stepping down into humanity, into the dirt, into the mud, into the mire, into the muck, and I'm identifying with all of you sinners. He is entering into solidarity with the sinful human race, not being sinful himself, but he's entering into solidarity. He's saying, I'm one of you and I'm with you and I will not abandon you. That's what his baptism means. He is identifying with 
the dirty, the lowly, the unclean. Although he is clean, he is identifying with those who are not. This is about solidarity. He's not repenting of anything. He's identifying with those who need to repent. So far, so good, but he's still not ready. He's still not ready. There's one more thing for him to do. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now, Mark uses this word. It's one of his favorite words. Immediately this, immediately that. So what he wants you to understand that as soon as he's done being baptized, the spirit says, okay, now we're ready for the next step. And what's the next step? The spirit drives him. The Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness. For what purpose? He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Being tempted by Satan. He doesn't merely identify with us as sinners. He enters into our human experience and he experiences what every single one of you have experienced in the way of temptation only infinitely more. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. Okay, this is important that we understand this. How many of you at times, you're a follower of Christ, you recognize that you've fallen, you've recognized that you're sinful, and you're reluctant to flee to the throne of grace because you think God couldn't possibly understand, he must be and is disappointed with me as a human being. Any of you? Okay, if this is a common human scenario. And the reason we think this is we think that he can't possibly understand our weakness, our infirmity, the level of temptation that we've experienced. And what the author of Hebrews is saying and what this text is showing us is that Jesus submitted himself to being tempted from the accuser himself, Satan. Now, Mark doesn't tell us the ways in which he was, he was tempted, but Matthew and Luke do. And we won't go into the mechanics of the temptation and how he resisted and how he fought him off. But understand that Jesus was tempted in every way as you and I have been tempted. Now, it's easy to think, yeah, but he's God. Yeah, but he's God. I'm not. And and therefore, it's easy for him to resist temptation. I don't think any of us can fully understand the force of the temptation that he felt because we buckled a lot sooner than he did. Okay, so if, if you think about uh, strong winds, hurricane force winds, the harder they blow, the harder it is to stand up. So when you're standing in hurricane force winds and, 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 and they're blowing, what, what do you have to do so that you won't fall over? You bend forward so the wind... you. If you lay down flat, then then you're not blown over. In other words, if you just bow and you buckle, you won't be blown away, right? You won't be blown away. Jesus never bowed. Jesus never buckled. 
We've never experienced hurricane force winds of temptation. Jesus has. Say, well, how do you know we haven't? Because we've all buckled. We've never let the wind get that high. We just dive on the ground and wallow in our sin. Jesus never did. So the intensity of the temptation for him is infinitely greater than any of us will understand. That's why he understands. That's why he can sympathize. That's why he empathizes with us in our infirmity, in our weakness. That's his preparation. More on this next week, but we have to respond. We have to respond after his temptation, after his baptism. So he's identified with sinners. He's become one of us. He's entered into solidarity with sinners. He's experienced the same kind of temptations that you've experienced. He's experienced the temptations for sexual sin. He's experienced the temptations for for bitterness. He's experienced the temptation for greed. He's experienced the temptation to put himself in front of others. He's experienced everything that you experience, yet without sin. Now he's ready. And what does he say when he comes? After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you were created to be an image bearer of God. You were created to be an image bearer to bring glory to him. And now is the time to use for you to fulfill the purpose for which God has created you. But there's a problem. You're not able to do that. You're a leopard and you can't change your spots. But here's the good news. I've come to atone for sin. I've come to be sin and to give you my righteousness. This is why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. That's the gospel. He says, repent and believe the gospel. There's two things that Jesus is asking us to do. He's asking his hearers then to do, and he's asking us to do. The first is to repent. To repent simply means to change. The Greek word metanao means to change direction. You're going this way, stop. Now go this way. But here's the thing. John the Baptist has already told them to repent, but that's not good enough because to want to change never brings about change. Jesus is different. It's not simply changing, but now he gives us a means by which we can change. He says, repent and, and what? Believe. Believe what? The gospel. What's the gospel? The gospel's the good news. What's the good news? The good news is Yahweh became a man. The good news is that Yahweh took on human flesh and that he stepped off the banks of the Jordan into the Jordan and he identified with sinners, you and me. He didn't come to judge sin. He came to identify with sinners and bear their sin. And more than that, he came to bear their sin and he, became, he came to fulfill all righteousness. What did, he tell Matt, what did he tell John? Let it be so now that all righteousness may be filled. He's the first and only human being who's actually done the will of the Father to the nth degree. He lived to do the will of his Father in heaven. And his righteous merit is accredited to those who trust. That word believe, it's synonymous with trust. Here's what he's saying. You need need to trust me. You just, you need to trust me. 
I have good news. My cousin, John the Baptist, he told you to repent because God is at hand. I'm here. But here's the good news. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to be condemned for you. And you need to trust me. You need to trust me. You need to give your life to me. You need to follow me because I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to take your sin and I'm going to separate it as far as the east is from the west. You are not going to receive what you deserve. You are going to receive what I deserve. You are going to receive love. You are going to receive adoption. You are going to receive sonship. You are going to become daughters. You are going to become citizens of the king. You are going to receive my righteousness. When the father looks at you, he is going to see my holiness. And he is going to pour out his love upon you in ways that you cannot comprehend. You are not going to receive what you deserve. You are going to receive what I deserve because I love you and I want you to trust me. That's good news. That's the gospel. And that's what Jesus came to establish. And it is only through the belief in that gospel that a human being, someone like myself, in 1988, when I was a college student here at the University of Iowa, heard that good news and ran to Jesus. And being a complete knucklehead with all sorts of sin and all sorts of issues, he has saved me. He is sanctifying me. It's a process. I am right with God through Christ and I am being made holy as we speak. Christ came to institute a new kind of humanity where the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control is the norm for his people. Not strife, backbiting, jealousy, sexual immorality, drunkenness. The stuff that goes on, the, the stuff that rips relationships apart. Christ came to undo all that by giving us his spirit. But we have to repent, we have to believe, and we have to trust him. So the question is, how will you respond? That depends largely on where you're at in your faith journey. For some of you, you're not sure who Jesus is. You're like me in 1987. You'd never cracked a Bible. You've never been to church in your life. You're not sure all about this. You're like, it sounds good, pastor, but I don't know. I just don't know. I don't want to take your word for it. You shouldn't take my word for it. Your next step is to investigate. When Philip came to his brother Andrew in John chapter 1, he says, come and see the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? They only have one Casey's and one stoplight. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. And Philip doesn't rebuke him. He just simply invites him. He says, come and see. Some of you are right there. This sounds good. It sounds plausible, maybe, or maybe you're skeptical. Come and see. Join us through April as we go through verse by verse the gospel of Mark and see what Jesus did and hear what Jesus said and you judge for yourself whether or not he's trustworthy. For some of you, that's your next step. For others of you, you already know who Jesus is and you intellectually assent to who Jesus is, but you're sitting on the fence. You have not stepped off the fence and begun to follow him. Technically, you haven't repented. Technically, you haven't trusted. 
you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, but you have not trusted him by, because if you trust him and then he says, follow me, what will you do? It's not a trick question. If you trust someone and they say, follow me, what will you do? You'll follow them. If someone says, follow me, and you say, nah, what's that communicate? I don't trust you. I don't believe that you have my best interest at heart. For some of you, you need to bear down on whether or not you really trust him. And if you do, follow him. That's the next few verses. That's the next few verses, 16 through 20. I'll let Jason handle that next week when he calls the disciples. He says, follow me. And you're going to see that over and over. Jesus is going to tell you who he is. He's going to do things which you've never seen done. And he's going to say, follow me. Follow me. Your next step for many of you is to follow. And for others, it's to continue following. Continue trusting. Continue to allow him to change you. Continuing to allow him to use you. He wants to use every person here to be a part of his kingdom, to experience his kingdom, and to proclaim his kingdom to people that are lost, people that are in despair, and he wants to use each one of us, each one of you, to advance his kingdom for his glory and for your good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to love you, to worship you, to come together and look at the scriptures. Spirit of God, would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you change us? Would you give us your Holy Spirit? Would you wash us for our sins? Lord, would you adopt us into your kingdom? And would you equip us to equip others to love, to encourage, to be your citizens, to bring you glory? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.